Amen. So John chapter 12 this morning. If you want to turn there, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Sharon or Dave or somebody (laughs) or Bob or Lawrence will pass one out. Maybe no one needs one. John chapter 12 this morning. We've kind of been doing two things on Sunday morning. Been doing a series of stories of leaders. So we've heard from quite a few. And we are doing the words of Jesus, though we haven't heard them in a little bit. You might think I've been on permanent vacation, but I'm back today. And I'm not on vacation. Ever. Bob. (laughs) John 12. John 12 this morning. Maybe a story you know. Then six days, verse 1, before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, who had been raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always, but me... You do not have always. So here we have an interesting little story that we're all, I'm sure, familiar with, right? We've all read that, and maybe some of you have heard a teaching on it before. But this week, as I was thinking what to share, this little story came to mind. Basically, what we have is a dinner party going on, and Jesus is with some of his precious friends, The scripture is very clear in John 11, verse 5, that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, not that he doesn't love all of us, but there's something when it says specifically that Jesus loved this family. He loved to be with this family. We know Lazarus was a close friend. And as we've heard, and you know the story from previous chapters in the Gospel of John, that Lazarus was raised from the dead. Now, he had this unique relationship with Martha and Mary. And Martha and Mary, as you know, were not the same personality. You know that we're all uniquely and wonderfully made. Amen. And some of us tend to be a little more practical. And some of us tend to be a little more passionate, mysterious. And that's what you have with Mary and Martha. We know every time we see Martha in the scriptures, what is she doing? Serving. She's always cooking. She's getting stuff ready. And even here, it makes it very clear that Martha is serving. Now, 
even at one point, Martha had to get a little bit of a rebuke because not only did she serve, but she got angry if you weren't helping her. Well, at least she got angry at her sister, right? What are you doing? You're just sitting at Jesus' feet. There's stuff to do. Now, we know people like that, right? And maybe some of us are like that at certain times um, of the week or in our lives and stuff has to get done so it's not all all bad but martha was really practical and even when um lazarus was in the grave and jesus was going to raise lazarus martha made the statement Lord, what are you doing he stinks he stinketh don't you know that he just smells don't, don't what are you doing like i don't know if she meant leave him in there but the reality of her practical mind said, Jesus, what are you doing? And even said, Jesus, where were you? And even knowing scripture and learning from Jesus, she was very aware of the resurrection. She answers Jesus. And Jesus is a master. And if you are a practical mind, you know how he answers you? Practically. If you are a passionate mind, you know how he answers you? Passionately. Isn't that the amazing thing about Jesus? He knows how to speak to each of us in exactly who we are. And he does. He answers Martha when he answers her with scripture. He speaks to her. She understands. Now, when Mary was upset about Lazarus, it says she went and she cried. And what did Jesus do? Did he answer her with a firm answer? It says he wept. He cried with her. I love Jesus. He's amazing. He knows me. He knows you. He knows how to minister to us in our time of need exactly the way he has made us. And so he does this, and it's an amazing experience we see. But then a little while later, they have this dinner party. Jesus is invited. And we know Jesus is speaking to Lazarus and maybe some others, and they're at the table, very relational. And sometimes I think we lose the fact of how relational Jesus is. Sometimes we see him like, you know, like in the church and in a box, and we can't touch him. And, you know, oof, that's God. And, you know, oh, we got to be careful, right? Like, but Jesus in the New Testament who is the exact image of God, was very relational. He would talk to you and speak with you and eat with you and be with you. And even at the Last Supper, reclining, and then as the disciples were leaned against him, you have this amazing picture of how real and relational our God is. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's not just a book or just a church building? Or he is so relational with us. And here you could see him just painting this picture of this home and just with them. And maybe you'd see some of the times at dinner with your family and past or present or with your friends and you're just talking and laughing and enjoying good conversation and being encouraged. And you have the massive encourager there, Jesus himself. But the whole scene is busted up by passionate Mary. And she comes and does something rather radical. She comes into the room. Obviously, she's not helping Martha serve, right? She has this pound of very costly oil. This is not something she just went and got at the store. This is something she had thought out previously. 
and she puts it all over the feet of Jesus, and she wipes his feet with her hair. This is a really intimate act of worship. And I wonder if we were there, and it's not culturally, we're a little different, right? But it would be like, wow, what is going on? Uh, Pastor Dan, is this allowed? (laughs) She's touching him with her hair. Um, Is that okay? Um, Could you imagine being there in this scene? And sometimes we read the Bible, we're like, oh yeah, will that happen? Just put yourself in that scene, and you can see the disciples, they're looking at Jesus and saying, what's his reaction going to be? Like, what's he going to say about this one, right? It's kind of the same situation when they didn't want the children to come to him. Remember, Jesus is really relational. Keep the kids downstairs. That's what the disciples thought. He's have it quiet, right? And then Jesus says, why are you keeping the kids away? And he picks them up. And he loves on them. The disciples are like, I don't know. And it's the same kind of situation. Like, this is a little out of the ordinary. This is a little bit different. But the reality of this act that Mary committed, it was very intimate, but it was the essence of purity. It was the essence of worship. And his response is very clear to his disciples and to one who speaks out Lazarus. And he says very clearly, let her alone. Let her alone. What should we do? Get her. Where's the ushers? Let her alone. She's doing a good thing. And then he goes on to explain how he's being anointed for his burial. And I don't really want to get into that so much today, but I do want to get into the fact of worship. This radical act of worship and what we can pull from this And that our lives need to be filled with worship for Jesus. And instead of maybe looking down at Mary, and I'm not taking the exact event, maybe our lives should be more like Mary and how we worship our Master. Amen? There's an interesting line here that it says, the fragrance of this oil filled the house. Like, this was some strong scent. She's wiping his feet. This fragrance was everywhere. And so, you know that we tried to change a little bit of the fragrance here today. Last week, if you came to church or this morning, what happened was they did the floor. And what did it smell like? It smelled like chemicals, right? Everyone came in, ah, oh, Terry did the floor. That's awful. But this morning we brought in a lot of lilacs and I asked some people to bring and I was out this morning, some farms and along the side of the road where no one would get upset. (laughs) And I was cutting some lilacs because my heart was to change the fragrance of this room. I called Dave Sprunt and I asked him if he had lilacs. He said, well, doesn't every Canadian? (laughs) I thought, yeah, they're everywhere, aren't they? These, uh, aren't they beautiful this year though? I don't know if it's the sunlight or the spring we had, but wow, even when you walk outside the fragrance. But I think we accomplished what we wanted to because we don't smell the floor, we smell the lilacs. And I'm really sorry if you have an allergy. Um, (laughs) If you can pop the door, you can go by there because 
I did have a warning, but it was too late at that point. Um, Mary's worship changed the fragrance of the room. Think, think with me just a second. If you will worship Jesus, you truly can change the fragrance of your life, the fragrance of your home, the fragrance of your ministry, the fragrance of your neighborhood. You can make it a fragrance of worship. Amen? You see, what we smell today, this sweet smell in this room, is probably something of what they smelt. Very powerful. We know spikenard was an essential oil. It was very rare, and it was very, very expensive. It's actually mentioned only one other time in the Scripture, this exact oil. And I'm wondering if anyone might know where that was. You want to take a guess if I haven't told you? I, I told some of you, so don't say it, but does anyone know? Anyone know where that fragrance is mentioned? Well, let's take a guess and I'll give you some hints. Let's play a game today. Perfume is very wonderful. And usually, if we go on a date or something, or we want to smell good, but especially with our spouse, we put it on. So let's just say perfume or scent can be very romantic. Now, what book do you think it was in? Oh, yes, you guys are brilliant. Way to go. The Song of Songs. And it's interesting. The only book, this, and it's mentioned along with myrrh, and it's very interesting because Solomon and his bride are there. It's in chapter 1 near the end. But the whole idea is that her fragrance is going out towards her husband. Her fragrance is calling out, and myrrh is mentioned. And I find that amazing because our worship truly comes out of a love relationship with God. Because Mary, if I want to tell you this, really loved Jesus. Jesus was everything to Mary. She didn't want to serve. She wanted to sit at his feet. She wanted to hear him. She wanted to praise him. She just simply wanted to worship him. And I think of that, and I think of our lives and our worship. You want to know something? Worship isn't singing. Singing is praise in a way to worship, but worship is a lifestyle. And is your life today putting off the scent or the fragrance of your love for your master and for your king? When people see you, do they say, that's the fragrance of someone who's really in love with Jesus. So the scent of your life is almost calling to your master in worship to him. It's interesting because that idea of aroma or smell from our lives is very important in Scripture. In Leviticus, when they sacrificed, and that must have been a different kind of smell, but because of their sacrifice and the death of an animal, it says it gives a sweet aroma to God. And then that whole theme is picked up in Romans, where it says very clearly that if we will truly die to ourselves... That is our spiritual act of worship in Romans chapter 12. Now think of this with me. 
in a love relationship, it's sweet when we can die to ourselves and elevate the other person. And that's true. I want you to know that's what worship is. I'm dying to myself. I'm bowing to myself, right? Or to God. I'm bowing my heart and I'm lifting him up. Every time worship in the book of Revelation, which I read snippets of this morning, whether it was the creatures or the angels or the elders, they're always bowing. They're always putting down self to elevate Christ. Is that your life this morning? Is that my life? It's absolutely beautiful that as we die to ourselves, it is our spiritual act of worship to Jesus. And when we say, I can't do it, God, but truly you are everything and I'm going to praise you because you're absolutely everything I need and your character is amazing and I just want to pour my love at your feet. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. And I'm going to put my hair on your feet. And I don't care what people think. Because that's an act of my submission. And that's an act of my humility. And that's an act of my love. And I just want you to be glorified in everything I do. See, that's the Christian walk. We think we have to do a lot. We don't. You, tr- you just simply have to worship, worship every day your master, God, Jesus, praising, worshiping. One other thing about worship I want to tell you very clearly because it sounds so wonderful. But I want to tell you something, that worship in our lives is rather costly. You see, this this essential oil costs a little bit of money. And our worship costs ourselves. Are you ready to worship today? The cost is you and what you want and what you think. In your submission, you truly are worshiping the Father. Well, that's wonderful. Smell of lilacs. Isn't this great? Worship. That's who we are. My life, my home. Maybe your home's unpeaceful. Maybe your home's about you and what everyone wants to do. You can go home. It's going to be about Jesus. That fragrance is going to be everywhere. Yeah, Pastor Dan. Or you'll forget right when you get to the door. (laughs) Which is okay, because I might as well. I want to tell you something. If you truly desire to worship God today, and as you leave this place, I want to make it very clear something you need to know. That there will be opposition. Do you hear me? This is really important. Sometimes we have this fairy tale, right? Like, oh, I'm going to worship the Lord. Everything's going to be great. I want to tell you that there are going to be voices of opposition in your life to your true worship. You see, Judas isn't alone. There'll be other people who will speak to you and say, what are you doing? Don't you know what that costing you? Don't you know you look like a fool? Don't you know? Oh, there's so much opposition, and it's not always from others. 
I found in my life that the opposition, that voice of Judas, sometimes is even within me, and it's my own flesh. And it screams. It might not be what we think, but I was thinking about this a little further, because what was Judas? We gotta feed the poor, right? Is that what Judas wanted to do? No. Judas didn't want to feed the poor. Who did Judas want to feed? Himself. And so you have those voices, you should be doing this or that, but sometimes there's a voice within us, and when we're trying to worship, we hear this voice that, well, if I give that all to the Lord, what about me? I want my hand in the kitty. I want more of myself. See, that's the way the flesh operates, right? And sometimes it disguises itself in this good thing of feeding the poor, or let's make it bigger, in good works. Sometimes the greatest opposition to true worship is good works. Doing something, striving in our flesh, using our own effort. But we can't do that because if we're doing things in our own effort to worship God, who's going to get the glory? I did that for God. We got our hand in the kitty of the praise. I did that. I did that. I fed the poor. Well, I was only trying to feed my own heart that people would say something good about me. Oh, not that that would be us. Well, I worship the Lord. I raised my hand. I was just wondering if anybody was watching me. <laughs> oh, we do a lot of things for people to watch us. Don't you know that? And sometimes we say we're worshiping the Lord, but truly we're trying to worship ourselves. And I think that's the way it was with Judas. But truly, true worship, can I tell you, is looking at God's grace and God's goodness and there is no human effort or ability or strength within it. It's simply God's grace and His promise that we're lifting up. I'm going to kind of explain this a little bit more as we finish. But in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is the author talking to the Galatian church. And it says something very interesting. He goes back to the Old Testament and he talks about the children of Abraham. Who were the children of Abraham? Does anyone know? Shout them out. We'll start one who wasn't God's plan. His name was Ishmael. And one who God's plan was and his name was Isaac. So in this little section in Galatians chapter 5, Paul's saying, do you know what? There was a time when Ishmael was a little older than Isaac and Ishmael persecuted or spoke badly to Isaac. And Sarah saw this and she was livid. And she said, get the son of the bondservant out of here. But Paul makes an interesting statement there. It's really our heart to do good things, our heart to accomplish God's work that mocks God's grace in our life. Do you ever think about it like that? 
It was interesting, I never did, and we had to do devotions at my old church, and we were the church staff, and the secretary, it was her turn, and she gave an incredible devotional on this, that how our acts, whether it be worship or service, whether that we do them mock simply abiding in the truth of God's grace. Have you ever heard that voice? You're not doing enough. You call yourself a Christian? You think you're worshiping? What did you do this week? You didn't pray for three hours? Who do you think you are? You miss church? You call yourself a Christian? Mock. Mock. You didn't share your faith in the bank. You had an opportunity. What do you think you were doing? Why didn't you call that person? You heard the voice of God. Mock. Mock. You didn't submit. You didn't truly worship. You should have done more. But what this voice speaks to us is it's our effort and not God's. Because back to Ishmael. Ishmael came forth because Abraham and Sarah concocted a plan to bring forth the promise of God. Do you remember that? Well, we've been waiting a long time and there ain't no baby and we're getting older. So there's a hot little Egyptian girl. I don't know if she said that, paraphrase. Just take her in. Your seed counts God's work, right? Was that God's plan? Do you know when we worship in our own strength and our own ability, what we're doing is the same thing they did in having an Ishmael. But God wants us to wait for his promise. He wants us to live in his grace. He wants us to simply enjoy him and give him all of us, not because we have to for our glory, because we're simply responding to how wonderful he is. Now remember, it was an utter miracle that Isaac came. Amen? How old was Abraham? Old. 199, Sarah. They're all up there, right? Way up there. Something we wouldn't think to happen. Okay, well, they lived to be 140 then. Okay, be like having a kid at 70 or 80 now. You see that every day? No, you don't see that on any day. That's a miracle of God, amen? That's what God does in our life. But we can try and produce worship in our own strength and our own ability for the purpose of dipping in the kitty that people will say, oh, way to go. And then we can feel good about ourselves. Oh, I did it. I'm something. And don't think you don't do it. Because if you're just like me and a human, you have a temptation to do it. Just to take a little bit of the praise. Just take a little bit of the glory. But the problem is, We're taking it from the one who deserves it all. And the issue then is, it's not about God. And our worship's not about him. But it becomes about ourselves. And unfortunately, that's sometimes how we live our lives. We have this voice. You're not doing it. What about you? I didn't see you. What did you do? How did you worship? Did you give yourself? That wasn't Mary. 
Mary was incredible. She did nothing that would make her look good in front of these men. Mary looked like a fool in her humility. But her heart was simply to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What is our heart this morning? I want to tell you something when we live in grace one thing i found in my life what i continually struggle with that if i simply abide in jesus and worship him and it's not about my strength or ability in anything i do can i tell you something so clearly as we close you will have freedom beyond anything you've experienced before we lock ourselves in because we're so worried how we're seen and we truly don't understand the King of Kings and His grace, that we're not free to truly serve our Master. Mary was free. Mary was free. I want to be free. I want to be free in my home. I want to be free in the bank. I want to be free in my office. I want to be free in this church to simply worship Jesus with my love, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. And I want you to understand, I'm not talking about singing or worship time. Understand that. I'm not asking you to sing a certain way or be more freer in worship. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that is free to simply abide in humility and worship of Jesus. We are restricted by so many things when the Lord would have us to be free. And please, don't judge other people because they're doing something wonderful for Jesus. Because Jesus would say to you, let them alone. They're worshiping me. I think we're in a generation and a culture that is all about our strength and our ability. It's all about our mind and what we can do. And we dig in and we say, I'm just going to work harder. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do it. I was an athlete my whole life and, I've, and I lost. You know what it was? Go work harder. Go back to the gym. Go work on your shot. That's how you'll have success. But in Christianity, it's not about your striving and your work. It is simply about your worship. And out of your worship comes the greatest fruit of all. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. All of these, self-control. You don't work yourself up to be more patient. But as you humble yourself and worship the King of Kings and simply are at His feet, you've chosen the better part. And as you rest in Him, your life produces so much. And otherwise, in our own strength, we get so frustrated and we get angry with others because we're dipping into the kitty of wanting praise, approval, and affirmation for what we're doing. 
And God says, that's not the worship I want. I don't want all your work. I want you. I want you. And even if it looks a little silly in your life, I want you. He doesn't want you to know all the truth. He wants you to live in his truth. He doesn't want you to go and do all the work. He wants you to live in his work. And it's so crazy because it's so counterculture as we let go of trying to worship and just are with Him, we do worship. Leave her alone. Jesus is saying that to us and He's asking us, just be like Mary. I'm going to die for you I've died for you. Just sit at my feet. Anoint me for what I've done. Woo! That's good, right? Amen. God's word is wonderful. May the fragrance of our lives today change the icky chemicals of the floor to the sweet aroma of true worship. Thank you, Terry, for that illustration. We have a great opportunity to worship him in communion. And remember, it's not a moment or a thing. It's looking at Jesus, just clinging to his feet and saying, I love you intimately in your heart to him, whether you're practical or whether you're passionate, however you want to do it. You just say, Jesus, thank you. I love you. My life is yours. Lord God, thank you this morning. For your reminders in scripture. Thank you for Mary. That will read this story forevermore. And when others were mocking. And wondering what she was doing. You Jesus. Accepted that worship. And Lord this morning. Would you accept our worship. May our hearts be on you. And not our ability. May we not strive to satisfy self. May it not be about what we can accomplish. In our strength. But Lord Jesus, may it simply be about what you've accomplished. Lord, forgive us. God, would you forgive us? We're such an independent people when you would rather us be dependent. We're such people that want to talk to you, but we don't want to sit at your feet. We want to serve you, but we don't want to hear you. Lord, teach us to do the better part. May our service come out of our love. May our service not be for love, but may it come out of our love. Realign us this morning to the truth. It's going to cost us something, Lord, but we know that you paid the greatest cost for us. May we just be like the one who's done it all and gave his life, Lord. We want to give our lives back to you as our spiritual act of worship. Not our way, not our ability, not our strength, but simply your spirit. Oh Lord, bear fruit. Bear fruit amongst us as we sit at your feet and worship you. Bear fruit amongst us. May love come, may joy come, may peace come. As your Holy Spirit just lives within us and we worship you and we are with you. Would you produce this amazing fruit that we cannot produce ourselves. 
we worship you today. We look at all you've done. And now as we take communion, we don't want to look at ourselves. We don't want to look at what we did well this week or what we did bad this week. We want to look at Jesus and know he's done all things well. We want to look at you and your your broken body and how wonderful it is and your blood that cleanses us, Lord. We want to examine the lamb this morning and not our own lives. We want to turn our attention to Jesus and bow our hearts to you in grateful praise for who you are. So this morning as you take communion, would you examine him and not you? Would you throw yourself upon him? We're all sinners here. And as we believe and trust Jesus, we're welcome to take communion and just rest in his grace and worship his goodness. Lord, you are so good. Randy's going to sing, the elements are in the back. Just focus on Jesus. And as the devil tries to turn your mind to yourself, would you discipline yourself to think of him and how good he is? Receive his blessing. Receive his forgiveness. Oh, Lord, just be in this time by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless this time of communion as a community as we seek you. And pray this in your precious name. Shake off the 
these heavy chains wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be, cause I am redeemed. You set me free, so I'll shake up these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. I'm not who I used to be Because I don't have to be The old man inside of me His day is long dead and gone Because I've got a new name A new life, I'm not the same And a hope that will carry me home Jesus, teach us just to focus on you. Teach us to worship you. Just give you praise this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you were broken. For us, so good how you restore us through your brokenness. Lord, you even take us through brokenness that we could be whole, that we might see you and what you've done for us. Lord, we just look at you this morning. You would say to your disciples, remember me. Remember me. Remember my body, broken for you. Let's take the bread together. Your blood, Lord, every mistake we've made, you paid for. Every wrong action, 
every bad word. Every bad thought. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We look at you and see that your blood cleanses us. We look at you and see your perfection. And we realize it's ours. As we believe and trust in you. You, Jesus, fill us with yourself. We just sit at your feet. We praise you this morning. We wipe your feet. Say thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you, Lord. We love you. Let's take the juice together. Amen. Praise God. I want you to remember to hang around for some food or whatever we have. You're welcome to it. Let's enjoy each other. Let's fellowship and let's worship Jesus. Let's stand together.